One of the things that my wife and I enjoy doing is camping. Um, and of course, when we camp, we like to hike. Sometimes we'll take a hike that's from point A to point B, a few miles, either down a mountain, up a mountain. It leads to other trails sometimes. And other times we like to take a loop because there's no way you can get lost on a loop. So we kind of like that, right? The text today reminds me of the end of a hiking loop. So hold that image in mind because what you're going to see is that there is not only a concluding kind of summarizing um, effect happening, but Paul's going to bring into focus again something that he talked about at the beginning of this section. So with that in mind, find Ephesians 5, would you? Put a finger on verse 15 and just let me say a few more thoughts about this end of the loop section we're looking at. Our hike began back in chapter 4, verse 1. He is in one sense kind of concluding that hike here in 5, about 15 through 21. In fact, you'll notice, I think this is the last time we see the word walk in Ephesians. It tends to drift now more towards the word stand. Uh, we've seen it four times previously. I think this is the fifth time this morning. And he'll bring in another mention of the Holy Spirit, which is kind of how he began in chapter 4. Within the first few verses, he talked about the Holy Spirit's giftings. We're going to see now about the Holy Spirit's power. So from that angle, this is kind of the end of a loop, so to speak, in which he's discussing this different kind of walk that we've been given, this new self, this uh, opportunity to walk in love, to walk worthy, to walk in a holy fashion, to walk in the light, not in the darkness. All of those are ways he talks about our walk. And I think in some sense, he now kind of summarizes that in verses 15 to 21. So follow along with me as I read these verses, and then we'll just kind of unpack them a bit in our lab this morning. And hopefully as you leave this morning, what you'll sense, and this is my prayer, it's been my prayer most of the week, is a greater freedom in your walk with Christ. And I think you'll see why I say that as we unpack two of these things in this text. So here's the verses. Follow along as I read verses 15 through 21. God's word would say to us this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's take a few moments and kind of analyze this end of a loop, can we? By noticing, first of all, there is an essential exhortation. We could call it a summarizing exhortation. We'll see it here in the beginning of 15. He says to look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. He is in some ways given a synonymous exhortation here to what he's done earlier when he says to walk worthily. He says to walk in love, to walk holily. Here now he says to walk in wisdom or to walk carefully. The word here is wisely and carefully. I think they're pretty synonymous. You can connect those two. This is the way that we are to walk. 
The word means to pay close attention to, be diligent. It means to give vigilance to. Uh, more technically, it means precise and accurate. And so the point here is to walk in a very careful, deliberate, intentional, accurate, precise, digital, a diligent, vigilant manner. Whew, a lot of modifiers there, right? I think you get the point of these words wise and carefully. He's again describing this new kind of walk we have. In this closing section, he does tell us why, verse 16, because this is how we make the best use of time. And notice that time has a modifier as well. This is how we make the best use of the time. What time is it? It's this time in which the days are evil. It's this present evil age, as Galatians says. And so in this present evil age, we should walk carefully, vigilantly, diligently, because we want to make the best use of our opportunities. Now, some of you may think, well, Todd, these are the worst days in the world. Well, actually, Paul wrote this in the first century. So if you think you're the first to experience evil days, you're not. In fact, I would say to you that theologically, I believe the last days is what we often refer to as uh, you know, when things are rough and tough and bad, we think we're in the last days. Well, we've been in the last days since Pentecost, all right? That's the theological, biblical answer. And the church has always been experiencing persecution to a lesser or greater degree. The first 300 years of the church's existence was extreme persecution. Uh, right now in Afghanistan, other places, uh, it's just going on in ways that we have not yet experienced here. But these are evil days. He's referring to this present evil age. And why is it evil? Just real quickly, it's evil because God has yet to reign in or bring in the leash on which Satan is attached. He's giving him some latitude. He's the prince of the power of the air in this current world system. And by God's design, which is often outside of our finite understanding, He's given Satan some latitude currently, but that will end with the coming of Jesus Christ when Jesus will crush Satan under his feet. Hallelujah, amen. Until then, we are in this present evil age and we have been since Christ ascended. And so it demands that we walk carefully and wisely. We are a different kind of people. We've experienced a different kind of love. And so as we walk this out, it demands that we walk carefully and wisely. Now to do so, Paul next mentions two elements that I think are essential. Notice what they are. To understand what the will of the Lord is, and then to be filled with the Spirit. So this would be the first element. This is the second element. And these show us how to walk carefully and make the best use of our time in this present evil age. It's really two essentials to this different kind of life that we live. Now notice these two positives, well you could put a plus sign perhaps in your journals, your Bibles, they're juxtaposed against two negatives as well. Look with me. Do not be foolish, we'll put a little negative sign there, and then do not get drunk with wine, another negative. So Paul is really uh, contrasting two things. Don't walk foolishly, which would be similar to not uh, to, to walking uh, unwisely, as in the previous verse. So don't be foolish, but understand something. Be smart about something. Be wise about it, and it's the will of the Lord. And then, don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at two issues this morning briefly. 
things I think Paul is bringing to the forefront, that of spiritual clarity versus spiritual obscurity. And then that of spiritual control versus spiritual carelessness. Let's tackle the first one, can we? It's mentioned in the phrase, understand what the will of the Lord is. Maybe circle the word will, because that seems to be something that we often don't understand. When someone talks about God's will or what's the Lord's will, often we have this perception. I want you to follow me here. Perception, this this uh, sense that there's something I have to kind of find out. Like, I don't know right now what it is, but if I pray hard enough and look long enough, I can win this battle of cosmic hide and seek and I can find God's will. But that is not the sense or the aim of Paul's instruction. Paul seems to be saying, and I think we could agree on this. Paul is saying there's a will of the Lord that is. This is a present current reality. Something is, so understand it. So Paul here is not advocating some kind of spiritual obscurity like, hey, you know, good luck, guys. You may come around the corner and find that God's going to tell you what his will is. I hope so. No, Paul is actually saying the will of the Lord is and just get understanding. And the word understand means to kind of grasp its implications, to appropriate what you know about it. So I want to, for a few moments, maybe just bring you into an Ephesians dimension of the will of the Lord. I say that because there are various dimensions of the will of the Lord throughout the scriptures. I'm not going to touch on all those. I just want to say, what does Paul mean here by the will of the Lord? Can we do that together for just a few moments? If you track the word will or the concept of God's will in this current book that we're studying, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians and, of course, the churches that circulated around, it seems to revolve around, I'm going to use three words and then I'll use three more words, but just follow me here. Take good notes. God's word, God's work, and then our work in response to that. I'll say that again. When Paul uses the phrase God's will or the will of God, the will of the Lord, he seems to be revolving that around God's word, God's work, and our work as a response to that. Or let me say it to you like this. Here's some more words. God decreed something. He delivered on that. That directs our deeds. You like all those D's? I figured you would, right? Easy to remember. God decreed something. He delivered upon that decree, and now that directs our deeds. I think that's what Paul is referring to when he talks about the will of the Lord that is. Let me explain. You go to Ephesians 1.1. Paul says he's an apostle by the will of God, something God decreed and delivered, and it was. He's He's an apostle. You go to verse 9. You find that our forgiveness, our redemption... It's part of this mystery that has now been made known through the person of Christ. God has unfolded his plan that he long prophesied and promised in the person of Christ. He's fulfilled it in Jesus. So God decreed something. He delivered it in Jesus. And then he says that it's God's will that we had this inheritance, this forgiveness, this redemption. He says all this was done in accordance with the counsel of his will. That's verse 11. So as you read Paul's usage in this letter about the word will, just follow me here, you find that really involves what God decreed and delivered in the person of Jesus. Can we use it one word to describe it? The gospel. The gospel is God's will. In this book, in this text, he's referring to what God has done for us. And as you get to chapter 2, verse 10, where he talks about, he kind of hints at 
God has prepared works in advance for us to do. That's his will. Get to chapter 6, verse 6. There's this will of God that we do. He's speaking there to those who are employees. You find that the will of God is works that we do in response to the works that God did. So I want to try to make the will of God, at least from an Ephesians dimension, very simple for all of us. And I hope that in this way you'll feel free. Like you're not on some cosmic search. You actually know what God's will is. God's will is basing your actions and decisions upon the gospel and then acting accordingly. It's not something God's hiding from you. It's not a secret. Paul says here that the will of God has been made known. It's been made known in the person and work of Christ. And so as believers, we model the actions of the gospel, Christ's love and forgiveness. Um, we want to make sure that, that work, what God decreed and delivered, ignites, motivates, directs, undergirds all of our actions. I was speaking to one of our members at 8.30. She was overjoyed. She says, Todd, about a year ago, I knew that our neighbors in our apartment, that it would be God's will for me to serve them. That's how I remember God saying to me, here's an opportunity, it's open, just serve them. And for a year now, she has served them faithfully in so many ways. I won't go into all that, but she said to me, the Lord said to me, this is my will for you right now. And all it was was an opportunity to display the gospel. Now, how do we display the gospel? Two words I want you to remember. As you read through Ephesians, the work of Christ on the cross, what God decreed and delivered, it ended in vertical reconciliation for those who believe as well as horizontal reconciliation. Remember Christ killed hostility on the cross? Jew and Gentile are brought together. And so vertical and horizontal reconciliation is at the heart of God's will. So anytime you can be involved in actions or make decisions that further vertical or horizontal reconciliation, do it. That's God's will. And often we stand in the doorway of open opportunities and we think to ourselves, is this God's will? And I think too often we use that as a cover for fear. And we say, well, I'm just not sure I know what to do. And the truth is we're not struggling with knowledge. We're struggling with courage. Because those actions will model the gospel. They're based in the gospel, rooted in from the gospel. They show the heartbeat of God. Can I just say to you, in every sense, in every right sense of the word, be liberated and do God's will. It's all around you. Just take the next step of obedience. I can promise you this. If you will make sure that your actions and decisions flow out of and are rooted in and come from the gospel, you will be smack dab in the middle of God's will every time. And I like the way Acts 16 shows us how God often directs us in the middle of pursuing his will, of doing his will. In Acts 16, Paul and his companions are trying to get into Bithynia. They're just trying to further horizontal and vertical reconciliation, this message of the gospel, but they can't get to Bithynia. But they were trying, and then in that moment, God directed, or I should say redirected their path to Macedonia. So, so can I just help you relax a bit? If you're wondering, like, well, is this the right thing? Should I do this now? If it's an open door, and it's clearly going to show gospel um, um, messages, have a gospel effect, go for it. God is plenty strong to stop you in the midst if it's not what you should do. And let's don't live in fear any longer. 
Let's don't live in this search mode like, hey, what's God's will? God's will is normally right in front of us in actions and decisions that flow out of and mirror the gospel. When we take those actions and make those decisions, guess what? You are doing God's will. You're understanding how it affects your life. You're appropriating what you know. This is how the gospel really sinks in deeper and deeper and affects us. So I want to do something this morning a little differently. I want us to take a moment and remember the gospel in communion right in the middle of our message with this prayer that will understand more and more what God decreed and delivered and then our actions and decisions will flow out of this. When we do that, we are doing God's will. So will you take your elements, church? Let's take the bread together for a moment, remembering the body of our Lord and Savior sacrificed for us. Jesus personally and bodily fulfilled all that God had decreed and prophesied. He was the ultimate lamb, the Savior, the ultimate priest and prophet. When he came, he gave his body as the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Let's remember that together by eating the wafer. And then the cup remembers the blood of Jesus. The blood that put an end to the sacrifice of bulls and goats. Amen. To the annual sacrifices. His was the blood of eternal redemption and forgiveness. It's through his blood that we have forgiveness and redemption. So church, let's drink this cup together, remembering the body and blood of our Lord. So what you just did was tangibly and sensibly with your taste and smell and hands, you just remembered God's decreed and delivered will. You realize that, don't you? God made good on his promise. In light of that, what actions and decisions can you take and make that would mirror and further that message? If you'll take those, you'll be doing God's will. Can I pray to that end for a moment? Heavenly Father, nothing in my heart right now wants to minimize other aspects of your will. Not at all. Instead, my heart and my voice want to maximize what I think is Paul's intent here. That the will of the Lord was clearly seen and known in the person of Jesus, in your decree that he would come, be born, die, and then raise again from the dead and ascend. And all of that, this gospel message would be the message that would make us right with you vertically and right with each other. So God, actions and decisions that flow from that, they are your will. And if you want to redirect our attention, divert our resources in the middle of our obedience to that, you surely can and you will. We have no doubt about that. I pray you would move our feet in a quicker fashion through open doors where your will is clearly seen and known through actions and decisions that mirror and further the gospel. 
In the good name of Jesus, the church prays together. Amen. Well, the second element, he says, is essential to walking carefully is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that there? Now, the wording here is interesting. You could word this to be continuously filled with the Spirit. You could say it, be being filled, but Paul has in mind, and he's aiming towards this continuous, ongoing lifestyle of the Spirit filling us. Now, I think a key word here is the word filled. So really, we're looking at the word will and the word filled today. And what is involved in this filling of the Spirit? Well, I think two things are involved, and I personally think one is primary and one is secondary. So follow me carefully. I think this will, again, bring you a sense of freedom and joy. There is a sense in which he's talking about the content of the filling. We are filled with the Spirit, right? But if you track the word fill in Ephesians, and we'll take the same approach again. If you look at when Paul talks about a filling within the church or even the Christian, he never really talks about being filled just with the Spirit. It's always being filled with the fullness of God. Chapter 1, verse 23, the church is mentioned and the fullness of God within it. Chapter 2, verse 22, he talks about how the fullness of God is given by the Spirit of God. And in chapter 3, in the prayer we're using as the basis for our 40 days of prayer and fasting, Paul's praying that they will know all the fullness of God. So when he says we are filled with the Spirit, he does mean there's a sense in which we are filled, the, the content of this filling is the Spirit, but I think it's a greater understanding to say this, and probably a, a more accurate one. He's aiming at saying all the fullness of God. If you have all the fullness of God, will you be filled with the Spirit? Yes, the Holy Spirit is God, right, church? But, but sometimes we limit it thinking, okay, I'm, I'm just kind of filled with the Spirit, and we think about it in the terms of a momentary leading. Like, I have the Spirit, I gotta make a decision, I have this moment of leading, but there's so much more in play here. I think Paul has in view the fullness of God, the richness and the depth and the joy of every bit of God being experienced in us by the Holy Spirit as well. So he's not only the content of the filling because he's God. And so if we're having all of God, we'll have all the Holy Spirit. He's also the cause of the filling. And I think personally, this is probably his primary aim. The word with can be translated with, in or by, it's always a dative. And so here, Paul is probably aiming at both. The primary meaning being, if you want to know the fullness of God, which has been his prayer throughout this book, his aim, that the, that the church would grow up into one new man, that we'd be moving towards maturity. This is all empowered by the Spirit, which is why verse 22 is so important in Ephesians chapter two, where he says, in him you are being built together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So two things are in play. The Spirit's the content, the Spirit's the cause. But don't just think, oh, I'm filled with the Spirit only. As the Spirit empowers you to understand God's will and see the cross more vividly and fully, man, you will be just inundated with all of God as well. The fullness of God. And what a rich treasure that is to the believer. How rich? Well, he describes the richness of life when lived under the control of the Holy Spirit in five words. Can we see those briefly? 
will be addressing, singing, making, giving, and submitting. You see those words? Those are all participles that modify this church and this life that is under the control of the Holy Spirit's power. They're not living careless, they're living careful. And this is done in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the fullness of the Spirit. And what happens is you become this person that sings, gives thanks, and submits. Now there's five words here, but I think we can all agree that the first three seem to be kind of one concept, right? We're singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. There's a vertical uh, kind of singing occurring. And thank the Lord that it's in our hearts. Some of us maybe not sing as well, but that's okay. We can still do that with as much fervor and zeal in our hearts to the Lord. It's vertical. There's also a horizontal aspect to our singing. Look what he says. We're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. By the way, just as a side note, I think the psalms here would be Old Testament songs. I think hymns here are hymns that the church held. We see some of those in the New Testament. We have some today. So they're just hymns that the church holds and records and uh, sings. And then spiritual songs would be those, what I would call extemporaneous songs, given by the Holy Spirit in the moment when the church gathers, or perhaps even individually. Um, that's how I see these three words. Uh, these are the things that we are singing. We're making melody with them in our hearts to the Lord. So you just can't deny that when the church is filled with the Spirit, both corporally and individually, guess what? We're a singing people. You start seeing this sense of joy and richness and fullness kind of coming out now. You just find yourself humming, singing. That's the Spirit filling you. He says, next we're giving thanks and Let's just go ahead and get under the weight of this verse together. Who, who has lived up to this? No one. I've already failed this today. Giving thanks always for everything. Like, okay, I've struck out already, okay? I've complained today. You say, well, Todd, how does that happen? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the control of all of God's fullness in your life. That's how we can give thanks always for everything. Notice that this thanks goes to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I love the way Paul here really becomes very Trinitarian in these last few verses. The Spirit always points to other persons of the Trinity. And he's doing this even in his empowering of us to give thanks. We're giving thanks to God in the name of Christ, and that's empowered by the Spirit. Our church, your life, is a Trinitarian church and life. This is the essence of being filled with the fullness of God. You need every bit of the one God in three persons. You need the Spirit and the Son and the Father. And then he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, this sense of def deference and humility. He'll talk more about how submission looks in various arenas starting next week. Travis will bring us a message on that. But you notice how even in the church, he's saying there's three traits, of course, that will typify the church and the believer. Singing, gratefulness, and submission. Now, let me just make a side note here. As you think about submission, gratefulness, and singing, the sense you get is like, wow, this is a life of joy. This is a life of, 
and I'm going to use this phrase, of like spiritual ecstasy that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Like it's exuberant, it's abundant, which I think makes the analogy to drinking wine, I should say, to being drunk with wine, very interesting. Because what is it that people are after when they get drunk? They're after this sense of like, man, I ain't got a care in the world. The problem is they're actually not carefree, they're careless. And they're choosing a liquid substance to try to attain something that actually, if you want the richest experience of joy that breaks out in singing and giving thanks in the hardest of times and actually finding the courage to submit to each other, it's the Holy Spirit who brings it about, not a bottle or a can. So Paul here is probably aiming at what is it that brings you great joy, that fills you up and empowers you It's the Holy Spirit. That's why this is essential to walking carefully, to living wisely, because this is the kind of power it takes. It's the kind of power the Holy Spirit gives to actually do God's will, to understand it, to see it clearly laid before you and to take next steps and make decisions so that you are doing God's will. So two things are essential here to living carefully. Can we just summarize this in a single sentence? Here's our take-home truth for today. Let's read it together, shall we? The Lord's will and the Holy Spirit, two essentials for living this different kind of life in the wisest way possible. I've inserted the idea of this different kind of life because that really is the kind of the the landscape of this hike we've been on for several weeks, starting in 4.1. We are a different people. We live a different kind of life. It's a new self, not the old self. It's walking in love, not, not lust. It's walking in light, not darkness. It's forgiveness, not bitterness. It's sacrifice, not selfishness. This is the new life. This is the different kind of life. And just as Paul began this section with the Holy Spirit and the gifts he gives, he now closes it with the power given for the Holy Spirit to fill us with all the fullness of God so that we can live a different kind of life. Maybe you're asking yourself, well, Todd, what does that different kind of life look like here in the 21st century? Well, quite frankly, it looks like the way it would have looked in the first century. (laughs) You see, we sometimes parse the Bible in ways that we think, well, that's what it meant then, and what does it mean now? The Bible's a timeless, truthful book. And while there are ways our culture is different, this text speaks timelessly to how we're to be different. So what would it look like in the 21st century that is similar to the first century? It looks like the man who's done with sexual perversion. He's no longer gonna be addicted to pornography. He's gonna have faithfulness to one woman, both his eyes and his actions. And he's choosing sexual purity. Just like Ephesians 5 says, we're not gonna wander in immorality, fornication and covetousness, no sexual greed. He's gonna pursue fidelity and purity in his sexual relationship with his wife. Looks like that. That's the same in the first century and the 21st century. It looks like the woman who says, I'm gonna let go of bitterness and I'll extend forgiveness because Ephesians 4.32 says this is how we've been forgiven by God. And so we should be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving each other. So that looks the same in the first century as the 21st century. Not holding on, but absorbing the pain and extending forgiveness. Yeah, the woman who does that That's the will of God. 
It looks like the couple who embraces generosity because they see in these writings, God was generous and gracious to us. He poured out his grace upon us. And so they give to and through their church. They share their stuff and they share their souls. They're open-handed, they're free. They wanna help. Yeah, they're generous because that's how God was with us. That's the same in the first century, 21st century. It's the teenager who is nearing the end of high school. They're about to graduate and perhaps they'll enter into some type of adulthood where all the folks around them will say, these are the years, man, just self-indulgence is the name of the game. You're on your own, do whatever you want. But instead they choose self-control, not self-indulgence. They know that the true treasure and joy in the Christian life is found in the Holy Spirit's power, not in the power of some a bottle or wine or drug or relationship. Yes, yeah, the same in the first century as the 21st century. It's the family that embraces speech that's edifying and building up. They read what it says in Ephesians 4. Let's bring words that minister grace in the moment. And so they commit to no biting sarcasm, no cut downs, no sabotage verbally. Why? See, see, that's the same in the first century and the, and the 21st century. You see, we've been a different people all along. And the culture changes, circumstances change, situations change, but God's truth doesn't. And he calls us to these actions, to living this different kind of life, regardless of the culture we're in. And how is that possible? Through the power of the Holy Spirit strengthening us to do the will of God. So church, would you take steps this week, make decisions this week that visibly portray the gospel's message? That's the will of God you should do. You say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, you can, because the Holy Spirit will empower you to. That's my prayer for you this morning. In fact, it's just a simple prayer of a few words. Oh God, watch this now, clarify and control. There's more to that, but I think I've preached that message. So I'm gonna summarize it with this prayer. Would you pray it with me? Oh God, clarify. Help me understand your will more and more and just to take steps towards it. Just action steps of obedience. Make decisions that mirror and reflect and further the gospel. That's your will. So clarify and control. Fill me, God, with all of you by the power of your spirit so that I can live this different kind of life. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.